Welcome to the season finale of Deep Dives with Tremika Benjamin, a podcast dedicated to bringing you higher education insights from higher education professionals. And I'm Tremika, your host. And I have to tell you, I was preparing for this next guest and I was thinking about just all of the elements related to this whole industry called higher education. You know, so you're taking into the context of workforce, continuing education, along with our four credit education courses. And what we need to be doing is thinking about it like a highway where there's multiple on-ramps, multiple off-ramps. And as an industry, what we have to figure out how to do better is help our students navigate these roads in a much more seamless way. And I get it, right? How do you do that? Because we offer the courses and it's their responsibility to just figure out how to get onto those courses. But guess what? These aren't the students that we serve. They don't live and breathe higher education every single day like we do. And as higher education professionals, how do we get out of our comfort zones of pedagogy and academia and think about this as an opportunity to sell and deliver dreams of career placement, economic mobility. How do we do that? Because it's not doing the exact same things we do before. And I recognize that this mind shift is going to take time. It takes collaboration. It takes a lot of learning, listening to best practices and kind of building our own ways with any institution in a completely different way and thinking in a completely different way. But here's the thing. It's been done. It's being done. And it's going to continue to be done in the future. So what we have to do is leverage resources and talk to one another to figure out how do we make these work back in our own institutions? And how do we get this innovative approach funded at a local level, a state level, a federal level? And guess what? There are ways to do it. And I promise you there are ways to do it that some institutions haven't even thought of. And if you're lucky enough to reside in one of the seven commission zones, What you're going to hear today, and I call them commission zones, I really don't know if that's the exact words that I should probably be using, but you'll understand why I said that in just a moment. Because today you're going to hear from someone, someone who is going to be able to talk about how do we leverage major funding to support innovative projects that directly impact economic growth. So today we're going to hear from Mrs. Gail Manchin. She's a federal co-chair for the Appalachian Regional Commission, and she's going to talk to us about how. Co-chair Manchin was sworn 13th federal co-chair in May of 2021. She was nominated by President Biden. So she works with 13 governors and a network of local development districts within this region. And just to give you context of the size of this regional commission, the ARC is responsible for funding over 584 projects last year, granting over $239 million in funding. You heard me. That was just last year. And here on Deep Dives, Co-Chair Manchin is going to share with us how all of this works. So let's dive in. Madam Co-Chair, thank you so, so much for this time. And before we get into our discussion, do you mind if I call you Gail? I hope you would call me Gail. Well, thank you. I remember when we first met, I was awkward. I was like, is it, is it, should I call you Madam Co-Chair all the time? And you said, Tremika, call me Gail. I would be offended if you didn't. So thank you so much for allowing me to do that. I'm excited to talk to you today for so many reasons. I've had multiple conversations um, with you about the purpose of ARC and what it's about. But just for the audience, can you tell us a little bit, what is a commission? What does this mean? What is the ARC and what is its purpose? Well, the commissions in general were created because there was disparity between a region 
and the rest of the country. So the Appalachian region is an area that spans between southern New York and northern Mississippi. Wow. 423 counties, about 26 million people, but it represents that Appalachian mountain range that runs through those 13 states. West Virginia is the only state that is totally within the Appalachian region. The other 12 states are those counties which border in that mountain range. And so that is what connects that region. But it's there, it is linked by the disparity, the isolation that was seen in that region, the poverty. So these regional commissions were created as a way to change the trajectory of the climate in those areas. So they they run the gamut in terms of what they fund. So how does the ARC decide what it wants to, to fund? Well, interestingly enough, the commissions are also a direct partnership between the local, state, and federal government. So ARC, for example, does not go in and tell anyone where they ought to spend money or how much money they ought to spend. That's the reason I'm called a federal co-chair as opposed Ah. to a federal chair, because my other co-chair is the governor of one of the 13 states. They make up my commission, and each year they select one of their own to be the state co-chair. So everything we do is a partnership, and we actually are the third leg. So a project starts out at the local level. They put it together. They take it to the state. The state agrees to it and matches it. Then it comes to the ARC. That's interesting. And what's interesting about it is, in its own way, it's what the federal government has put in place as a almost a groundswell. The people who see the need and those resources at a local level, they're responsible for saying, these are our needs. This is what we need to solve them. And they partner with the state, and then they pull together the federal government through our commissions, is what I'm understanding. Is that right? To solve those challenges. Absolutely. And that local level actually has to build its own partnership. They have to bring in business and education because they have to have some Mm buy-in. They have to go to the state with some money. Right. And then the state. So So everybody has skin in the game. Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you, and that's exactly. Tremaker, you you hit the nail on the head. It is having skin in the game that makes a difference. When we go to a state and visit a project, what you see is pride, commitment, uh, because it's theirs. You haven't sold them a bill of goods. They have created their own bill of goods, and it it's wonderful. So when we first met, we met at AACC at the Workforce Development Institute, and we spent a lot of time talking about the work that some of the programs that you fund have in higher education. But before we dig into all of that, I want to take a step back and just talk about what ARC funds overall. Because if I'm understanding correctly, you have three grants, right? And there's Power, Inspire, and Arise. Is that right? Correct. All right. So now I'm going to ask you the hard question. So I want to walk through each one, but I need you to tell me what they stand for. Because if I understand correctly, they're acronyms, right? They absolutely. Like every organization, we are alive because of our acronyms. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So there we are. But I will add one other caveat to the three grants. Mm-hmm. When the ARC was created, 
the main focus at that point in time was the highway system. There was none. And when President Kennedy came to West Virginia to campaign for president in 1960, he was appalled. The isolation of the people, the poverty, there was no highway system. He said, how can a state grow if there are no highways? So that, that was actually the impetus to create the Appalachian region was to establish a highway system through it. So they did. I mean, that was the first mission and the first project, money into the highways. And so that is still ongoing. We are about 91% finished, but there is still the Appalachian Division Highway Development Highway System that still funds these roads through the mountains of Appalachia. That's so interesting. Yes. So what had happened as these interstates kind of came up, they just kind of went, around the mountain. <laughs> it was easier yes, than going through, through the mountain. <laughs> That's right. So we tackled that problem. And then the coal industry, uh, which has been obviously a big impetus throughout the Appalachian region, started taking a downturn. And as it took that downturn, then you saw these communities floundering, uh, just sort of dissipating. Okay, so I know each one of the grants are a mouthful, so just bear with me because let me just tell you, as I went through and prepared for our time together, I call it power, I call it inspire, and I call it a rise. So please forgive me if I'm going to quiz you, but tell me about the power grant, but tell me first, what does power stand for? Okay, power stands for Partnerships for Opportunity and Workforce and Economic Revitalization. Wow. And that exactly defines it. It is money that is worked to create a diversification in energy segment where coal will be replaced. How will that be replaced? What takes, what industry, what entrepreneurial effort, what educational stronghold will come in to replace the coal industry? So that you give people that live in those communities a second opportunity, being able to stay in their communities, to revitalize their community, and create it as a place that families can have a great quality of life. Can you give me an example, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but can you give me an example of maybe a grant recipient with the Power Grant and just how they've used some of those resources? Yes. In fact, there are numerous. Obviously, we have over the course since 2015, we have uh, funded 449 projects at a tune of $368 million. But for example, Wallace State Community College in Hansville, Alabama, has created a program that connects students with career training in the automotive industry which has come back and come back very strong in the South. But you look at other areas, there's a great amount of power money that's gone into tourism, outdoor recreation, uh, revitalization, trail systems that now go between states connecting. But it's all about that revitalization, something that will bring that community back now that coal is gone. I love this. And it's also a perfect opportunity for 
education systems within the Appalachian region to leverage this opportunity to shift from something that may be focused primarily on a worker related to coal industry moving over into something similar to like a cybersecurity or it could be a multitude of things. And I think that's just so interesting. Well, it's essential. Right. I mean, it's the only way these communities are going to survive Mm -hmm. because workforce development is education. It is education. You're exactly right. You show me a community that is well-educated and I will show you a community that is revitalized because they will have the skill sets needed to build that economy and develop that reality, that new effort that brings excitement into an area. So thank you for that. And I wanted to ask you about um, Inspire, because I know if, if I understand correctly, this grant really focuses on this disproportionate impact of substance abuse within the Appalachian region. And talk to me about you know, what has it funded? And then, you know, are you seeing results from this so far? Okay. Well, first, Mm -hmm. INSPIRE, the acronym. Oh, that's right. Tell me. (laughs) Investment Supporting Partnerships in Recovery Ecosystems. And what we found is that, yes, uh, so workforce development, all these other things grow. And then all of a sudden we're having this epidemic, this crisis with opioids. And so, and it's it's interesting, Tramika, that why the most vulnerable areas in our country are always hit the hardest. Hardest, absolutely. By these types of crises. And so this was no different. And unfortunately, West Virginia leads the nation this year in opioid death overdoses per capita population not a record that we want to have. But what we found is it's not just about recovery. It's not just about these operations that you go through recovery, you graduate, and it's over. And it's done. Those are not working. What our researchers found from the data that they had collected is it is a very holistic approach. It is recovery. It is a support system that stays with that individual which includes counseling, transportation, place to live, health care, training to get into the job force, to direct that individual into a career. So it is a long continuum. And in order to do that, it takes the whole community. And that's a public health approach. And I really like that because just getting them in and out of recovery isn't enough. They have to see some type of light at the end of the tunnel in a sustainable way in order to not fall back or to backslide. Well, that's the point. Yeah. It has to be a life change. Mm -hmm, They mm -hmm. go back to the world they came from. Then they're probably, the results are going to be where they came from. Right. So it is about that support system being there that enables them to stick with it. So all of a sudden, there's not a safe place for them to live. Well, we need to help with that, particularly for women. In order for them to get their children back, they need to be in a safe place where there's childcare availability. And so you create this, really, this world for them, but then it enables them to have hope and a sense of purpose. And that's where people really start surviving, is when they realize they are an asset in their community, not the liability that they've always been. And that's really critical. But again, 
you have to figure one of your most important elements is getting that business community involved. Will they stand up and give these individuals a second chance? And also not only give them the second chance, but support them. So if they need to leave for a counseling session or they need to go meet with their parole board. I didn't think about that. Right. Yeah, these things that just, it's going to take that added effort. Right. And of course, they, you know, there's not 100% success in anything. So for these businesses to say, oh, I tried that. I had a bad experience. Okay. So you had a bad experience, you know, but that's no reason to give up. So we encourage businesses and these communities that have done that, by and large, they are very, very happy. And I really do believe from a local perspective, when we start to think about those, the three-pronged approach that you mentioned earlier, from the local perspective, our local community and technical colleges play a role in this to say to the business community, you want workers. I'm going to provide workers, but you have to provide the wraparound services that these workers need to deliver those services. So I do agree with you that the community and the local community plays such an important role. Money is not always the answer. It has to be resources and time too. Uh-huh. So my question for you when it comes to Inspire, who's done it well? Because I, from my research, I've seen you've given like, a, you meaning the commission uh-huh. has given over $28.5 million towards this Inspire grant initiative. So who is off the top of your head, who's done it well? Okay. So the Mississippi Prison Industries Corporation called Inspire Hope Alliance. Huh. Uh, and it is a community-based plan that takes previously incarcerated individuals, and you have to understand that a lot of times these people have been incarcerated because of the drug use. Yeah. You know, it's not been capital murder. Right. It's the drugs and, and prisons seem to go hand in hand. So they have built this program. Brooks House in Washington County, Maryland, is a wonderful program that provides a stable community based for women to come together, live in this program. They get job training while they're living there, support system to re-engage with their families. So there's wonderful examples That's of, amazing. of people that are doing it and they're having great success. So lastly, selfishly, because of the work that SWIM does with colleges and universities around the country, I am so excited for what you're doing through Arise. And I know that this is something that is near and dear to you. But before I go to my first question, can you tell me what Arise stands for? Arise stands for Appalachian Regional Initiative for Stronger Economies. Ah, perfect. Okay, so this is your baby. This was your vision. Am I right? Yes. Please tell me the whole story before we start talking about what it is and how amazing it is, a little selfishly because it really is focused on opportunities for education that I'm so excited about. But before we get into that, what inspired you to do this? Well, it uh, certainly wasn't anything I, I thought of other than as I visited the 13 states, that was my goal. I wanted to visit all, thir- once we were out of COVID, I wanted to visit all 13 states before the end of the year. And I did that. And what I saw were these wonderful projects going on in these 13 states. And that started sort of hitting home to me. Each of these individual states are doing some great things. But they didn't name us the 13 states of Appalachia. (laughs) 
they named us the Appalachian Regional Commission. Right, right. And I started thinking these great ideas that have come out of all of these states. What if they were sharing those ideas? What if states were actually coming together thinking we can, we can do this. We can grow this as well. Right. And so that was the beginning. And so I, I just started talking when we would have our state calls and state meetings. I would say, you know, I think it was intentional that we were called the Appalachian region because we have so much. We are linked by this mountain range. range. And so we need to, I think, work together. And if we did that, if we lifted the region, all of our states would do better. Now, I don't think there was a real great buy-in with my first conversation around this. <laughs> I can imagine the first time that you brought this up, you probably got a whole lot of quiet voices on this call. I don't know what you're talking about. What does this mean for my individual program in my life? Who moved my cheese? Am I right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, let's think about it. You've got 13 governors. Oh, wow. That are always very excited about what they can, my state did this. My state brought this much money. Right. My state built. And that's what governors do. And that's what governors are supposed to do. And so now I'm saying to governors, let's share. And let's all be together. Oh, yeah. Kumbaya. <laughs> the antithesis of what it means to be a governor. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So it was interesting, but I kept talking about it. I kept talking about we're 423 counties uh, and what that would mean, what a big entity we are. We're 26 million people. The only entity bigger than us in this country is California and Texas. Wow. Wow, it's right for me to think about it. Think about what an impact an area could have if it really worked thought of itself as this region. And then I put money into it. Now they're paying attention. Now they're paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> they said, well, maybe we can't talk to them. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so the whole idea was, obviously, we've been given this great opportunity, Tremeka. Federal government gave us, gave these federal agencies a lot more money this year more money than we've ever had before, and probably more than we will ever have in the future. So you look at this as a point in time that we can really make a difference. And how do we do that? How do we do something that's really transformational? So that's the reason the Arise Grant is a much larger grant program. You can ask for up to $10 million dollars. You can ask for $500,000 for a planning grant. But the catch is you have to work with at least one other state. You don't have to work with all 13. But the bigger, the bigger that project, the bigger the impact. Right. And that's what we're trying to establish. And I know that you don't start with your biggest package first. However, our first Arise grant is a broadband grant that does involve 12 states. And it's going to go hone out the 50 in, in the three subdivisions. So you think of the northern 
part of the Appalachia Central and the Southern. Out of those three subdivisions, pick out the 50 neediest communities in terms of broadband and help them, give them the technical assistance and wherewithal to be able to get broadband into that region. This is so important when you think about the digital divide that was really prevalent in the midst of the pandemic. This is completely life-changing for these communities. Well, the irony of it is when we talk about the ARC was was built to build highway. Right. And now we're talking about the new highway system. I didn't think about that. That's absolutely right. So we are now trying to build the second highway system through the mountains. And the challenges are just about as great with broadband as it was with With concrete. Yes, yes, because you can't go through a mountain with this one either. (laughs) No, no, we're finding, yes, we have found that out. So, and here's the interesting part. So you think about what are some of the commonalities through the Appalachian region. And certainly we have the mountains and we have our lakes and we have our trails and we have the culture and the heritage of our past that is very much the same throughout. That So those are things that can be connected. But let's think about other things that connect us. We have academic institutions throughout our region. We have all kinds of higher ed. We have community colleges, four-year universities, career training centers. Historically black colleges and universities, Hispanic-serving institutions, all of them. Yes, all of them. And what if we could really create a network throughout that arena to build a program? And one of the programs that is so important right now in our country is cybersecurity, homeland security safety of our devices. And so we're looking at what if we could create, what if we could say to the Department of Defense, we are creating in the Appalachian Mountain Range a well-trained cybersecurity force that will protect the eastern part of the United States. Wow. And we can do that with 423 counties and 26 million people. We can do that. And so that is one of my brainchild, my little... One of your other brainchild, yeah, brainchildren. Well, well, it's certainly, the, you just start looking at what do you have and how can you pull that together? And to me, that would be transformation. Now you're talking about something that this region would do that would transform safety, homeland security safety for this part of the country. When we think about Silicon Valley, we have something in our minds. When we think about the Appalachian Mountain region, we're thinking cybersecurity. Yes. Well, because the other issue is they say that if something happened in Washington, the first safe zone out of Washington is that Appalachian mountain range where people would start migrating in. The mountains would be their first zone of safety. So why not really amplify that zone of safety and say, yes, we are a zone of safety and we can provide a skilled workforce to protect our homeland security, our devices, 
and do it in a way that really is available to anyone, whether it's someone that can go to a local community college or a, a career tech center, someone that's at a university level that wants to take that to the highest degree. Now, what I think there would have to be, I think there has to be agreement on curriculum. What is, the, you know, you have to have a high bar and you have to say to people, this is what, where you have to be. But I think that's, I think that's doable. That's doable for people that have never been to college. That's doable for people that need to be retrained, that lost their job in the workforce that they had and now they need to be retooled. And I think that it's something that can be done in our smallest communities or our largest communities. So my last question, although I could, Gail, you and I could talk for the longest time. Sometimes I forget that I have a microphone in front of me when we start to talk to each each other. Um, My last question is this. So I'm the CEO of a college or a university. And I'm listening to this podcast. I'm like, I just, I've got to, first of all, I got to see if I'm in one of these commissions that they're talking about. (laughs) And hopefully I have Gail as my co-chair. But then if they want to figure out how do they leverage their region, regional commission if they're in one, what is the first step that you think that a, a higher education executive should consider? Okay, well, I think there's a couple paths you need to take. First of all, remember that we're a partnership. So you might want to reach out to your state, to the state office, and say, what are your, what are, are your efforts right now? What's your focus on economic development? And how can we as an educational institution be supportive of what you're trying to create in your state? That's a group to contact, to connect with. Your educational peers around you, have conversations with them. You know, what are you seeing in terms of What are the needs out there in our community? And certainly talking to the business community. It's vitally important. I used to get so aggravated when you would go to a meeting and there'd be somebody sitting on this side of the room saying, well, we can't get the job. The people, the students coming out of our schools don't have the skill sets that we need. And then you have people sitting over on the other side of the room saying, we offer this wonderful curriculum. We offer 23 degrees and 18 master programs. And you think, could these two people not get together? What would it hurt to just talk? Yeah, right. Are you governors? (laughs) So that's, you know, those are the, and these are not the hard things. These are, these are just conversations. Right. You have these conversations, you start building relationships, and then you talk to your neighbor two or three counties away, your peer group, another college or university, and they talk about this really successful program that they're having, but they, they don't have the outreach that they need. And you think, well, maybe, Maybe we could support you on that because we have a similar program. We could probably work it around and that, you know. So it, it is about, I think, in all of these arenas, building larger relationships. And impact. Yes, which will lead to impact. Right. Thank you so much, Co-Chair Manchin. This has just been such a delight. I have really enjoyed my time with you. And I am so excited to see the future of Arise, Inspire, Power. It's just, it's such an exciting 
organization and I'm excited to be a part of it. So, Well, it's an exciting time. It is an exciting That's it. time. We're very fortunate. We're living in a time where we have the resources to do what we what we need to do. Mm-hmm. We just have to want to do it enough to get it done. Right. But Tramika, let me say to you that the only the only bad part of this is that I really monopolized the conversation. I like it better when we're sharing our conversation. We'll do that without a microphone present. But I think that most of our listeners are going to want to hear from you, Coach, <laughs> you mentioned in this particular case. Well, it's always fun. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap. This is the last episode of this mini season of Deep Dives with Tremika Benjamin. And I got to tell you, I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed sharing each and every one of these stories with you. And Co-Chair Manchin, thank you so much for your insights, your wisdom, and all that you're doing to elevate the Appalachian region. So now, you can find all episodes for this Workforce miniseries and seasons one and season two by going to www.deepdivestv.com or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast subscription service. So I'm kind of sad to say bye, y'all, but that's actually it. I got nothing else to say. Now, what I will tell you, this one last thing is that we're cooking up some really cool things, a completely different approach to our next season, and I can't wait to share it with y'all, but not yet. And in the meantime... Thank you so much for listening.